Well, we're really glad you're here today. It's a great weekend. It's a great time to honor uh, our men and women who have served and who are serving. And we live in a great land. We live in a great country. No question about it. Well, today's message applies to everyone. This is a universal message. This is whether you're a Christian or whether you're a Buddhist. This is whether you're you're uh, young, old, rich, poor, highly educated, still, you know, trying to get an education. This is one of those messages that applies to everybody. And I'm going to talk about a very specific fear today that is, that is universal. And we all go through this, and we all experience this particular uh, type, type of fear. But I want to start with kind of unpacking this with King David. And King David expresses this in Psalm 35. And so I'm going to show you some verses out of Psalm 35. That's where I'm going to begin in verse 4. And David begins to unpack this, this fear that we all, I think, feel. So David the king starts off by, May those who seek my life be disgraced and put to shame. May those who plot my ruin. So we don't really know what's going on. We join the story kind of in the middle of it. May those people be, be put to shame. May those who plot my ruin. May they be turned back in dismay. Look at the next verse. Why? 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 Because they hid their net for me. They, they spread a net for me. They tried to trip me. They tried to trip me up. They spread a net for me without cause. He's like, I, I'm, I'm confused. Why, why would these people do this? Without cause, and without cause, they dug a pit for me. So there's a net spread, there's a pit dug, and I don't understand. I don't know why anybody would do that to me. Look at the next verse. So may ruin overtake them by surprise. He doesn't like turn the other cheek, does he? He hadn't, he hadn't read Matthew 5 yet. All right. So may ruin overtake them by surprise. May the net they hid entangle them. May they fall into the pit to their ruin. Why? Ruthless witnesses, not just witnesses, but ruthless, ruthless witnesses, they come forward and they question me. Look at the next part. They question me on things I don't know anything about. I don't have a clue why they're spreading the net. I don't have a clue why they dug a pit. And now that ruthless witnesses are coming for me, and they're pounding me, they're pounding me, and they're asking me questions that I don't have anything to do with. I know nothing about. Look at the next verse. They repay me evil for good. I did them good, but they've come back, and it's haunting me. And they leave me like one bereaved. Look at the next verse, verse 13. Yet... When they were ill, even though they spread a net, even though they, you know, dug a pit, when they were sick, I put on sackcloth and I humbled myself with fasting. We don't get the whole sackcloth thing, but it was an expression of, of, of grief. And when my prayers returned to me unanswered, I went about mourning as though for my friend or for my brother. So when my prayers didn't even get answered for them, I was deeply affected by this. I bowed my head. I bowed my head in grief as though weeping for my mother. That's about as high level as you can get right there. But when I stumbled, when I had a problem, when something occurred to me, they gathered in glee. Assailants gathered against me without my knowledge. So behind the scenes, they're spreading emails back and forth about me. They slandered me without ceasing. So what's going on here? 
It's a story about incredible confusion. I don't understand why people are impacting my life the way they are. I don't get this. And here's where fear always lands. Keep going. Next verse. Fear always lands. This fear always lands back with God. Because God, if you can, and God, if you care, that's the question. God, if you can, and God, if you care, how come? How come this is going on? And how long will this take place? How long, O Lord? And this is where this fear always comes back to. This is where this fear always lands back with God. God, if you know what I'm going through, and you can, and you know what I'm going through, and you care, how long will you just look on? For crying out loud, God, do something about it. You have the ability and you care, right? So how long? Rescue me from their ravages. My precious life. (laughs) I like that. My precious, all about me, God. My precious life from these lions. You know, the whole book of Job is kind of about this same thing. Job, all of a sudden, finds himself in the most confused state of life you could ever imagine. God, how come you took away my children? How come you took away my cattle? How come you took away my farm? How come you took away my health, for crying out loud? God, where are you? And the whole book of Job is really about Job wanting an audience with God. Because if he can just have an audience with God, then surely God will know how righteous I am. And surely God will know I've been a great guy. And I got these three clumsy comforters coming to me who are just worthless. Surely God will know that I'm a righteous man. And so the whole book of Job, Job's trying to find the time to get in an audience with God. And he is confused. Ever been confused about people? Ever not been confused about people? Ever been confused about God? Hey, if you can and you care. I mean, all of us in this room who've tried to live the Christian life for a while, all of us in this room, we've all gone with this thought, why is this taking so long? If God has the ability and God has wonderful intentions, why? Am I still in the place that I'm in? So here's the question this morning. Here's our question this morning, and we're going to dive into this. When an unwanted package of pain arrives, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do, not if an unwanted package of pain arrives, but what do you do when the unwanted packages of pain arrive? arrive. And they're, 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 they're coming. If you don't have any pain today, praise God. I mean that. Just don't get the mail on Tuesday. Don't open a text. Don't open an email. It's coming. But what do you do? And these unwanted packages of pain, they're medical, they're vocational, they're relational. We, we, we get this. I don't have to explain all this. The unwanted packages of pain, sometimes they're small, they're a little minuscule, sometimes they're large, sometimes we get three or four packages coming at the same time, and they're cumbersome. What do you do? What do you do when an unwanted package of pain arrives in your life? And we've all got it, or we all will, and we'll all experience that. 
And so this is facing your fear of, of confusion. And I want to get to the point in just a few minutes, but it's going to take me. I got to go all the way around the barn to come in the front door. Okay. Now, he, here's what I've learned the last 33 years, that when an unwanted package of pain comes, I've learned to ask four questions. And I'd like to tell you that I'm really smart and I figured out these four questions on my own, but it's probably taken me 20 of the 33 years to come up with these four questions. And I've gotten some of this from Bill Hybels. I've gotten some of this from, from not Andy Stanley, but from Charles Stanley. Some of these old sages from Billy Graham, from, from um, Charles Swindoll. So, some of these questions over the years have kind of formulated from these wise old sages of the faith. And so here's what I'm going to recommend. When an unwanted, not if, but when an unwanted package of pain arrive, arrives in the mail for you, I would ask myself four questions. Are you ready for this? Are you up for this? Okay. Here's question number one. When an unwanted package of pain comes to you, I I would start with this question, okay? And this question is, did I cause this pain? Now, that's the first question to ask, and it's the hardest question to ask. I remember when Denise and I were on our 10th wedding anniversary, and um, we were in Memphis, Tennessee. I think it was Mobile, Alabama. We were at Mobile, Alabama. I didn't have one eye doctor. I had at least three different eye doctors tell me, never wear your contacts in the swimming pool. And if you do, never open your eyes underneath the water. So what did I do? I got in the swimming pool, and what did I do? I opened my eyes. Yeah, I'm a good preacher boy, follow all the directions. That night at dinner time, I felt a little bit of irritation. By the next morning, I got to go to an ophthalmologist an hour away. I got a hole in my eye, drops every hour for the next 36 hours just to save my eye. Now, I didn't go back and say, God, if you can and if you care, how come you let this happen? I mean, Danita's a good woman. She deserves a good 10th anniversary. How, how, how did this happen? I, got a, I was eating cereal about a year and a half ago, and, I, and a tooth cracked in half eating granola cereal. You know, I wasn't eating like hard candy, and that tooth had a huge silver you know, half filling in it from the milk duds that I ate. I would eat two boxes of milk duds every movie. Man, those were good milk duds. Don't give me milk duds. I won't eat any. I haven't had a milk dud in 10 years, but I got three crowns because of the milk duds. You have to ask yourself the question, did, 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 I, did I cause this pain? Did, did, was there something that I, the, the divorce, did I, did I have something to do with the divorce? I got, I got let go. I, I didn't get the promotion. Did, did I have something to do with this? Now, if you never ask this question, you will never grow. If you never start with this question, no, it's their fault, her fault, their fault, everybody. If you never start with this, it may not have been your fault. But this is the first question that you need to ask when an unwanted package of pain comes your way. I, I, I remember, um, his name was Wyatt. And he calls me up. He has lung cancer. And Wyatt calls me up. And, and I came over to his house, and, and Wyatt said, how could God allow me to get lung cancer? And it wasn't the time, wasn't the place. But I was thinking to myself, Wyatt, you smoked three packages of cigarettes a day for 40 years. 
and, 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 and my grandfather, the night before he got his leg amputated, my grandfather was 87 years old, had incredible problems with diabetes, which were his fault. I, I kid you not. My parents are coming in two weeks from now. You can ask them this question. My, my, my grandfather would have an inch of jelly on a piece of toast. He would have a little bit of toast with his jelly, basically. And, and, and during breakfast, he would eat half of a jar of jelly. Je, je, he's just getting warmed up. This is just breakfast. He's just getting the party started. And so my grandfather in the hospital gangrene in his leg. They're going to amputate his leg. He's going to die the next day because his heart can't take the pressure from the surgery. He asked me, why did God allow this to happen? Again, I'm 26, 27 years old. I didn't say what I was thinking. Grandpa, God, God didn't do this. You, you did. You did this. So the first question we want to ask ourselves is, did I have something to do with it? That's question number one. Nobody left yet. We still good? Here's question number two. Question number two is, you know, did somebody else cause this pain? What, was there somebody else, somebody, somebody else that did something to you? About three Aprils ago, I was sitting at a stoplight in front of 580 on McMullen Booth, minding my own business probably, singing or something on the radio or talking to myself or praying. I was, I'm sure I was praying. But anyway, um, I, I was sitting there, and all of a sudden I look in my rearview mirror, and the car behind me slams into me. Now, just to push rewind, um, an 83-year-old woman never hit the brakes. Apparently, it was going about 37 to 40 miles an hour. There were no skid marks. She hits an 83-year-old man. The 83-year-old man hits me. I hit a 57-year-old guy in front of me. All four cars have to be towed. Three of these people go to the hospital on stretchers. If we'd have had spiritual eyes, we'd have seen 20 angels had to be resuscitated because I was fine. I, I was walking around just, just fine. But I had nothing to do with that. I'm sitting at a stoplight. There were people in your life who've caused you pain. Maybe you've been molested. You had nothing to do with that. You were an innocent girl. You were an innocent little boy, for crying out loud. You had nothing to do with that. But some depraved individual, maybe you've been mugged. But, but did somebody else cause this pain? These are the first two questions that we need to ask ourselves. Question number three. So far, so good? When an unwanted package of pain arrives in your life, and by the way, it's common. You've had them. You'll have more. You'll continue to have more. Question number three is this. You see, I, I live in a natural world. I, I live in a world where God set this up. And this is the question, did a natural calamity cause this pain? We live with gravity. We live with tides. We live with high pressure, low pressure, sunshine, too much rain, not enough rain. Just a couple years ago, the great drought in the Midwest. My farmer buddies and my farmer families from Indiana, these guys were dying on the vine with the drought. It was just a couple of months ago where we had this incredible mudslide and, and 41 people lost their lives. Half of a mountain was sheared off. And all of us can probably still remember just three, four weeks ago, the tornadoes going through Oklahoma and going through Arkansas. A car limb can break off and a car limb can snap and just go through your windshield. There can be hail damage. There can be drought. All of us live in this world. And so the third question that I think needs to be asked is, as a result of living in this world, 
is this part of my pain? And here's question number four. And question number four is about Satan. He's called Lucifer. He's called the devil. But did Satan have something to do with this? Did Satan cause my pain? Now, maybe you're in the room, and maybe you don't believe in Satan. Maybe you don't think Satan's like a real person. Let me just tell you why, as Christians, we, we believe in Satan. Because Jesus did. Jesus talked about Satan, and if a guy can predict his own death, and a guy can predict his own resurrection, and if a guy can pull that off, that's who we go with. So whatever Jesus said, that's kind of what we do. And Jesus talked about Satan. And so Satan, you know, there tempts Jesus right off the bat. Jesus gets baptized, goes out in the wilderness, he's fasting, and all of a sudden Satan comes up to him. And Satan tempts Jesus to do some really bad things. Um, there's another really interesting passage of Scripture where Jesus says to Peter, this is toward the very end, in the garden, he says, Peter, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat, but I have, I, I've prayed for you. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, talk about Satan is like a, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may, he may devour. Now, don't get freaked out about this. Because if you're faithful and true and you're all dialed in, he, he cannot. He's a, he's a defeated foe. But he goes after the sheep. He goes after the, the weak sheep that they're looking for. They're not, they're not, paying, they're not vigilant. They're not, they're not paying attention. And so I, I think sometimes this is a very real entity in our lives. And we've all kind of felt this, haven't you? Kind of felt the presence of evil. And we've kind of like felt God, God, God's not in this. Satan may, may, may be in this. So every time... There is an unwanted package of pain. Did, did, did I cause this? Did, did, did I have something to do with this? I had nothing to do with this. You know, Aunt so-and-so and Uncle so-and-so, they were just drinking, 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 and we had the car accident, and, you know, I broke my leg, and, and, and you were a kid. You had nothing to do with this. But somebody else's depravity affected you. And maybe it wasn't a person. Maybe it's just nature, just a drought just a famine. Just We live in Florida. Could be a, you know, hurricane. And then number four, did, did, Satan, did Satan cause this pain? All right. So let's talk about four truths that we need to deal with every time we have some pain in our lives. Four truths. Number one, these are in your bulletin. If you're a note taker, here's number one. God, God is never the author of evil. I just, want, I just want to be real clear about that. God, God's never the author of evil. John chapter 1, verse 5 says that God is light. He is not darkness. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. God, God is light, light, light. Look at the next verse out of James. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. See, God's never the author of evil. Say that with me out loud. God is never the author of evil. Truth number two. Here's truth number two. God will always limit the amount of evil that will come your way. Even in the story of Job, Satan didn't have a free reign. Even with Job, there were limits to what he was able to do. God will always limit the amount of evil that comes into your life. Isaiah chapter 43 says this. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob... He who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Now look at the next verse. This is so cool. K 
catch this. This is one of those verses that I would put on the refrigerator. This is one of those verses that I'd put on your phone. I'd put maybe at home in the mirror. This is a verse to commit to memory. You see, when you pass through the waters, I'm going to be with you. It doesn't say if you pass through the waters. It doesn't say if, you know, one of these packages of pain. It says when. When you pass through the waters, I'm going to be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, it's not if again. It's not if. There's no if to this. You and I live in a fallen world. The day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. And the death process began the moment Adam and Eve ate from the tree they were told not to. So it's it's when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, now I hope you don't have a fire at your house, but there are fires in your life. You will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God. I am the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior. Look at Corinthians. 2 Corinthians says this. This is a good one for 2 Corinthians. Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. Can I add there in parentheses, unwanted packages of pain? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Again, look at the point. Here's the point. God will always limit. He will always limit the amount of evil that will come your way. Number three, point number three. God's presence is never more real than in a storm. Again, Everybody in the room has storms. Everybody in the room will experience incredible storms. And and, and I want to say to you that that as a pastor, I have a front row seat to this. I I get this. This causes me at times not to sleep well. Last Sunday, after I left church, between 1 o'clock and 2 o'clock, in 60 minutes, I had three different phone calls and crises of, of people's pain. I have a front row seat to pain. I I, I get this. But the antidote, the solution is not to medicate. The solution is not to drink. The solution is not to go partying. The solution is not to... The solution always comes back to your heavenly Father. God's presence is never more real than in a storm. Look what he says in Psalm, Psalm 34. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Verse 19. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Doesn't prevent you from problems. Your problems may last six days, six hours, six months, six years. But eventually, you lean on him, you lean into him, eventually you will break through. You will bust through with your problems. What's the point again? God's presence is never more real than in a storm. The last truth, truth number four. God will eventually weave your pain and your suffering into a fabric of purpose and in blessing. I think that is just so cool. I think that's so cool that no matter which of these four it is, God's going to weave. I may have caused it. Somebody else may have caused it. Something may have caused it. Lucifer may have. It doesn't matter. But eventually God's going to take your pain, your problems, your, your storms, And God's going to give you a platform to be able to use those to communicate truth and truth and truth with with other people. God never wastes a hurt. I'm not making fun of your hurts. 
I'm not making fun of your pains. I don't think he allowed it to happen even sometimes. I'm sorry. I don't think he caused it to happen so that you can use it. I think he allowed it to happen, though, so that you can use it. So, so why not weave your pain and your suffering into a story? Yeah, that happened to me. Yep, that happened to my family. Let me tell you how God rescued us. Let me tell you, we were in the valley. We were struggling. We were hurting. We thought we were going to jump off the bridge. Let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you how God worked in our lives. And here's the best verse of all, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know, we know this. We know. We don't just think it. We don't just teach it. We've experienced this. We've gone through the valley of the shadow of death. We've been at the very pit of the painful problem. We've lost a son. We've lost a daughter. We've lost a business. We've had incredible. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And that's every believer. Every believer has been called according to his purpose. So I, I, I don't know your story. I don't know all your pain. But I do know this. He takes your unwanted packages of pain. Look what he does. Here's the four truths. He's never the author of evil. Say this with me out loud. Here we go. God is never the author of evil. God will always limit the amount of evil that may come your way. God's presence is never more real than in a storm. And God will eventually weave your pain and suffering into a fabric of purpose and blessing. I believe that. I believe all four of those truths take place with your packages of pain, regardless of what to these four that, that it may be. Well, I, I want to I close... Then we're going to sing a song together in just a second. But I want to close with a story from Jesus. And I want to tell you one of, the, one of these cool stories that Jesus tells. And I just want to preface this by when, when you read the Gospels, we've got to remember that only Luke writes chronologically. John and the other boys wrote theologically. And man, John, John could preach. And so John tells us some stories in, in, in a particular chapter, and, and, and they're not the order. The order's not the point. The, the point is, it's what he's trying to, to communicate. And so in this one particular chapter, Jesus, um, like, feeds the people. And he feeds the people, and they're pumped, you know, they're all stoked about it. And he takes the two loaves, uh, takes the two fish and the five loaves of bread, and he feeds, you know, like 20-some thousand people. They only mention the men, but 5,000 men, 5,000 women, and 2.2 kids, whatever. It's 20,000-some people. So, so it's, it's incredible. And then right after that, Jesus sends the disciples away, and then he comes walking on water, and he walks on water, you know, to get back to the boys. And that's just a cool story in the whole world. I can't wait to get to heaven. I'm going to walk on water. It's just, I just can't wait to do that. But anyway, so he's walking on water. And then they get there, and they're all looking for Jesus. Everybody's looking for Jesus. And Jesus said, you're looking for me. It's kind of the southern translation. Y'all are looking for me because you had your fill. I gave you a buffet. You're looking for me because I fed you. That's why you're looking for me. And and they're like, well, yeah, yeah, that's cool. And then, then Jesus leverages that. Jesus leverages the story. And Jesus begins to teach the people who he is. It wasn't about the fish and the bread. It wasn't about the buffet. It was to point them to who he was. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. They're like, huh? How can you be the bread of life? 
Well, show us a miracle. If you're the bread of life, show us a miracle. You know, because after all, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. You talk about a miracle. You know, Moses fed us, and, and Jesus is going, it wasn't Moses. It wasn't a big mo. It was my heavenly father. My heavenly father fed you. And, and then Jesus begins to talk about how he is even greater than Moses. And the guys are going, isn't this Joseph? And we know his mom and dad, and he's got brothers, and he needs a carpenter. What are you saying? And they begin to murmur and grumble among themselves. And they leave. By the hundreds, they're leaving. And Jesus turns to the 12, and he says, will you leave also? And Simon Peter says, Lord, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And one of my prayer partners shared that story with me about a month ago. It has rattled my world. It's made me think so clearly. I can't connect every dot. You can't connect every dot. I don't even understand sometimes which category something comes into because it comes so fast. But Jesus' question to Simon Peter is our question. Where are we going to go? I mean, have you got a better option than God? Have you got a better option than Jesus? And so he asks the guys, where are you going to go? Will you also leave? And Peter says, where, where, where would we go? Now, you do have options with your pain. You can drink it away. You can smoke pot. You can party it away. You can try to, you know, medicate and Put something in there. You, you, there's a, you have a lot of options. But I don't think you have any good options. The only right option that you and I have is what Peter says. Lord, you alone. Now, now I think Peter's going, I can't quite figure out the whole bread of life thing. I can't quite figure out the whole Moses thing. I can't quite figure out all the men in the wilderness. I can't, like, figure out everything. But, but Jesus, I got this figured out. You are the bread of life, and there's nowhere else to go. You don't have a better option than surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. That's the best option that you and I have because those truths are true with every package. The little bitty, you know, mild stuff that's going on to the great big cumbersome packages that you can't even carry alone. Every one of those truths are 100% true. And so, you're at a fork. I'm at a fork. Every time the unwanted package of pain arrives. And I'm encouraging you to do exactly what Simon Peter did. Lord, where are we going to go? You're the best option there is. You're the man. You're the bread of life. Before Moses was, you are. You are everything, God. And I surrender my life to you. So this is now, this song is a prayer of surrender. And when you sing this song, just, just keep all four of those questions before you. Will you stand and will you sing this and surrender to your wonderful Heavenly Father.